The Old Testament reading is from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is, who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has ever been before you, and none like you shall ever arise after you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we will read responsively Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh also longs after you in a barren and dry land where there is no water. Thus, I have looked upon you in your holy place that I might behold your power and glory. For your steadfast love is better than life itself. My lips shall praise you. As long as I live, I will magnify you and lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness when my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Because you have been my helper, therefore under the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul clings to you. Your right hand has upheld me. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the earth. Let them fall upon the edge of the sword, that they may be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All those who swear by him shall be commended, for the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our New Testament reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, 
one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for all the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, growing to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson this morning is from Matthew, chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. So what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the, violence take it by, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. 
We're continuing in a sermon series on Ephesians today. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. If you brought a Bible with you, I'd, uh, could you open it to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4? If you don't have a Bible here with you today, there are blue Bibles like this on the back table. You are welcome to grab one and read it. And if you don't own a Bible, then one of those on the back table is yours to take. That is our gift to you today. So far in Ephesians, Paul has been laying out the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. Here at the beginning of chapter 4, he's telling us how to walk in light of this good news, what to do with it, how to live it out in our everyday life. And the upshot of it is this. Paul is telling the Ephesians, the, church, the people of the church in Ephesus, and the people in, the, in all the churches of the surrounding area who likely would have read this letter. And the people in every church from then on, even the people in this church, Paul is telling all of us, you Christians are one. Act like it. That's basically what he's saying. And this chapter, this passage right here, verses 1 through 16, is the groundwork for the entire second half of the book of Ephesians. Everything that comes after this is basically a case study or an example of how to live out these words. You are one. Act like it. Paul is showing what the basic identity of those who are in Christ are, and that identity is as a unified people. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The calling to which you have been called. What does that mean? Is that a vocational calling of butcher or baker or candlestick maker? Is it, a, is it a, 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 a relational calling or a familial calling of father or mother, son or daughter, husband or wife? No, it's this calling to which you have been called can only be one thing because it, it applies to each and every one of the Christians who would be reading this letter the underlying fundamental calling that the gospel places on us, is that Jesus Christ saves in order to reign. And Jesus Christ reigns in order to save. And the call on each of our lives, therefore, is to A, believe in the risen King Jesus, and B, to give him our complete allegiance for the rest of our lives. That's the gospel call in our lives. And it's the same for each and every follower of Jesus. And so if that call on our lives is the same for each of us. If that call on our lives is the same for each of us, then that's the beginning, that's the underpinning of the unity that we have as members of his church, as subjects of King Jesus, as citizens of the kingdom of God. And so here Paul is saying, each of you, each of y'all, walk in this manner, walk in this way. You have been called to do this, and so act like it. You are unified. Act like it. You are part of one family and one body. And he says, let me explain a little bit more about what this one body is and how it all points to the unity that we have in Christ. Look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called into one hope that belongs to your call, 
There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. And so that, that play back and forth of one and all, it's, it's the, the singularity and the whole. It's the, the, the unity that we have. It's the, at various points in our liturgy, you'll hear us use the word Catholic. This is the Catholicity of the church. It is universal and it is one. This is it right here. Each Christian is tied to every single other Christian, regardless of background or skin color or sex or where you grew up or what you do for a living or anything. Each Christian is tied to every single other Christian. And so Paul is saying, these things are true. Can you please, please act like it? So how do we go about doing that? Well, he tells us. In verse 2, what are we supposed to do? Walk in, the, walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity. That we're actually supposed to pursue it. That we don't just get excited when it happens to us, but that we look for opportunities to, to strengthen the unity that we have together. There's a phrase in here that I think is really interesting. It, I'd never really considered it before, but it says that we are... Um, that we are with humility and gentleness, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And that's it. It just struck me. I wasn't quite sure what it meant. Sometimes bearing with something can almost have like a negative connotation. Like, if you can just bear with this a little while longer, right? Like, I, I know that you're, you're just on this side of, of not tolerating this anymore, but if you can just put up with this mess a little while longer, I promise it'll get better. But that's not, what, that's not what bearing with one another means here. It doesn't mean that you grin and bear it. It's a verb, uh, the, the Greek verb is anexo, and it, and it literally means, well, it has nothing to do with just tolerating. It literally means to lift something up. It means to carry it. It means to hold it aloft. You'd see it in terms of like holding up a torch for the king, carrying a child. It also has a connotation of being attentive to something, of keeping a celebration going, remaining constant in a vigilant watch. These are the kind of, this is the lexical domain of this word. And so we see that we're, we're called with gentleness and humility, not just to put up with one another, but we see that with our own gentleness and meekness and humility, that we are to lift one another up, that we are to carry one another that we are to consider the other person as something of value and importance to be championed. It's very much an action verb. And this is all participatory language in our life together, right? It's very, it's very giving of self. We don't just tolerate, we press in because, as in verse 3, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The church of that time had tension and strife in it. We know because it was filled with fallen people just like every other church throughout history. But it's been documented. The churches of that time had tension and strife. Some more than others, but they each had some of it. 
The idea of, of Jews and Gentiles worshiping together was not even one generation old at this point. There would have been a lot of people in that church to whom, when they were kids, the idea of that being true would have been completely unthinkable. To say nothing of the idea of rich and poor worshiping together, of people from different backgrounds worshiping together, of people who had done things in their past that were so monstrous that the idea of forgiving them could be really challenging. All of these people together worshiping in these churches in Ephesus and in Galatia and in Rome. And so we've already seen factions developing in, in the church. In another letter that Paul writes, the same guy who wrote this letter, he wrote another letter to the church in Corinth called 1 Corinthians. Paul is saying that, that following a certain church leader or church planter doesn't make you better or smarter than anybody else. All it does is bring strife. It just gets in the way of, of remembering that each of us is called to be with all of us in following Jesus. And then there's two other letters that this same guy Paul wrote, one to the church in Galatia, one to the church in Rome. And he goes into way more detail than he does here about the idea that Christians are called from every tribe, tongue, and nation, that Christians are called from Jews and Gentiles. We've seen this since Pentecost, when people from every tribe, tongue, and nation were praising the name of Jesus. We've seen this since, since Acts chapter 6, when the first deacons were called to take care of the Greek women that were getting overlooked by the Jewish leaders in the church. And so in Galatians and Romans, Paul is very clear to point out that there is one creator God of the universe. There is one Yahweh. And he does the exact same thing here. One, 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 over and over again. There is one Lord Jesus Christ. There is not one God for Jews and one God for Gentiles. There is not one God for the rich and one God for the poor. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And then we get a but. Verse 7. But, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is a, a small but confusing sentence. Remember a few weeks ago when I said that anytime you see the word you in Ephesians, you can almost always in every single situation in your mind think y'all because this is a letter written to a group of people and this is very much the gospel of the church. And so in almost every case, Paul is using the second person plural that we don't have in, our, in the way that our English is currently constructed. And so it can get a little confusing when you see you should do this and you should do that because in Ephesians it's almost always y'all need to do this. And I said there were only a few exceptions. This is one of them. Because the church is one and yet, and yet each person in the church, each one of us has been ransomed by the blood of Christ. Each one of us was specifically set apart by God to be part of this new creation family. And so each one of us has been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Which is a clunky phrase when you see it. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Like what is, I know what each of those words mean by themselves, but what does that mean? It actually means three things. Firstly, it means, and thank God this is true. Firstly, it means that the grace that the Father gives us 
is not based on our own merit, but is based on the merit of Christ. And that's the underlying truth of the gospel. That we are saved not because of anything that we did, but because of what Jesus did. Secondly, it means that Christ himself is the gift. The measure of Christ's gift is Christ. The actual gift that is given to the church is Jesus. Not what he did, or not what he stands for, or not the model that we're supposed to follow of his life. But he himself is the gift to the church. And thirdly, and this one can sometimes be hard to hear, each of us gets, gets grace given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is he saying here? Well, the third thing, and we see this in what he's about to say after this, the third thing is not everybody gets the same stuff. This is where we get into pitfalls. This is one of the ways that unity is threatened in the church. If you want to know why in the Old Testament and the New Testament and everywhere, if you want to know why envy is a bad thing, it's because it threatens the unity of the people of God. If you want to know why coveting what somebody else has is a bad thing, it's because it threatens the unity of the people of God. Envy tears down the team, and coveting tears down the team. You know, it's easy to look around at something that somebody else has, and you say, well, why did Sally get this great job and I didn't? I'm as qualified as she is. I don't know. Because Jesus didn't give you Sally's job. Jesus gave Sally Sally's job. Why is Frank so handsome and why does he have so many friends? I don't know. I don't know why Frank is more handsome than you. Because Jesus didn't give you Frank's good looks or charm. And that's fine because each of us is different. But we run into problems when we start to say, well, I should have what Sally has. And I should have what Frank has. No, you should have what you have. It's why the Bible says that in whatever situation you find yourself in, to give thanks and to find contentment because that's where God has placed you. It's why Paul is literally writing this letter from prison. And while he's writing it from prison and reminding the Ephesians that he is a prisoner on behalf of God, that he can still find gratitude, that he is still grateful to God for the mission that God has given him and for the grace that he is showing him even in his current situation through Jesus Christ. Because if God is sovereign over everything happening in his creation, then he has given what he has given for a specific reason. And those things, those differences between us, cannot tear down the unity of the people of God. And Paul is reminding them of this, that each is given his, his gifts according to the merits of Christ's gift. But nothing is going to tear down the unity of the body, and God is going to make sure of that, not just in in reminding people to act like Jesus. But God is actually providing a structure for this church. And the structure is part of the unity of the church, and the structure points to the unity of the church. The organization of this church, and, and one of the earliest examples of it is right here in Ephesians. The organization of the church is not for the building up of the leaders. The organization of the church is not for the protection of those in power. The organization of the church is not supposed to bring in more tithes or make us more comfortable or anything like that. The organization of the church is itself a grace and a gift from God for a specific purpose, for the building up of the faith of the people. 
Paul is saying that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to the church. Why did he do this? In verse 12, he did this to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So, leaders in the church are there to serve the church. Not the other way around. The church is not here to serve its leaders. The leaders of the church provide the structure, the scaffolding of the church. And the whole structure of this church is to promote two things. If you've been paying attention at all for the last couple of weeks in Ephesians, anyone want to guess what the two things are that the church is supposed to promote? Anybody? Unity and holiness. It's the whole point of this letter. He's talking in the next verses, he talks about being brought into the unity of the people of God and growing in the knowledge of God. He talks about maturing into spiritual adulthood so that we aren't tossed around by the, the whimsical waves of doctrine. This is literally just a synonym for holiness. Spiritual maturity that we find through increased knowledge and love of God. Spiritual maturity means pursuing a path that Jesus walked. Spiritual maturity means striving to be more Christ-like. Holiness literally means striving to be more Christ-like. It's the exact same thing. And so the leadership structure of any church is really not about itself. It is about serving others. And it is about helping to provide the structure for the church so that it can grow into its twin callings of unity and holiness. And so Paul is saying here, we have apostles, we have prophets, we have evangelists, preachers and teachers, all of them are supposed to engage with us to increase our knowledge and love of God. How do we do this? We do this by studying the scriptures together. We do this by worshiping together. We do this by engaging with one another for prayer, for accountability, for bouncing stuff off one another that we've been thinking about, that we've been wrestling with. We don't do any of those things so that we can puff ourselves up or make us think that we're better than other people. We don't pursue spiritual maturity so that we can look down on the immature. We pursue spiritual maturity so that we can then help others. We pursue spiritual maturity so that, and this is verse 15, this is, we're getting to the end of this. Rather, speaking the truth in love. You can't speak the truth if you don't know the truth. But you can't speak in love if you don't know Jesus. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So each of us is supposed to grow up into the head. So that's the, that's the holiness and the unity coming together in one in Jesus. It's what the church pursues, and it's what each of us every week, when we're out in the world, it's what we get to invite others into, into this unity and holiness that God gives us. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church as he urges them to do these things. And this is not, this is him, this is not him being angry at them. This is him exhorting them. You guys get to do this stuff. It's not necessarily easy, but you get to do it. Step into it. Lean into it. Do everything that you can to make this a part of your daily life. 
And that's his call for us too. As we pursue unity and holiness, as we try to be more like Christ in this world, and we draw others in to tell people this great story about King Jesus, the risen King Jesus, who saves in order to reign and who reigns in order to save. And that's the unity that we have. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that we get to look at this book of Ephesians together. That is a, it is a timely word for your church in our current cultural moment, Lord. I pray that you will use it to excite us and energize us and refocus us. That you'll use it to sand off our hard edges and that you'll use it to correct the behaviors in each and every one of our lives that we need to look at and say, this is not Christ-like, and we throw it away. And we throw our sin off, that we cast all of our sin on the cross of Christ, and that we, we follow you with a renewed energy. I pray that for each and every person in this congregation this week, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.